Well, they rushed out the door. The early morning sun beginning to rise. His heart was heavy as he recalled his father's furious words the night before. Now that the truth was out, he knew what he had to do. It was an easy choice. He would choose friendship over inheritance, covenant over compromise, love over even his own life. A lengthy walk, and they were at the edge of the field. His servant handed him his bow and quiver, and as he pulled out an arrow and eyed the sharp tip, he became keenly aware that his heart was on fire, as if he himself had been shot through. He was broken. Not so much over his dad's harsh words. That was something he'd grown accustomed to. It wasn't even so much the rage his father had toward his best friend. No, the greatest point of his heartbreak was that he had to say goodbye to the one who was his greatest comrade and companion. (laughs) Well, they had a closest kind of love. The closest kind you could have apart from your spouse Theirs was a a deep and trusting relationship, one that could be described as a a confiding in type of love. (laughs) They came from opposite sides of the track. One, a poor shepherd. The other, a wealthy prince. One was used to serving as he served his older brothers. The other had many servants at his disposal. One stood to inherit very little, if anything, as he was the youngest boy. The other was set to inherit the kingdom. But they both shared a love for God, a desire to follow His will, and a conviction to obey the Lord no matter the circumstances. So their relationship was forged, forged out of respect, loyalty, sacrifice, and honesty. The souls of David and Jonathan were knit together And this kind of confiding in love would be tested, made true through the fires of hatred, scheming, and attempted murder more than once. But Jonathan loved David as his own soul, and he would demonstrate that kind of love. For when his father, King Saul, experienced the departing of God's spirit and became murderously jealous of David, Jonathan stood up for David. When his father flat out told him that the kingdom would never be his as long as David lived, Jonathan remembered his covenant with David and honored it. Not only did Jonathan stand up for David, but actually protected him, telling him of his father's plan. And even though it broke both their hearts, Jonathan encouraged David to flee. So that day at the edge of the field, Jonathan showed his love, that he loved David He confided in David. He protected David and ended up losing his inheritance to David. This was a close kind of love, a deep relationship. David and Jonathan's relationship is a picture of the kind of love required in what we have been talking about, love strong. It was a confiding love. The kind of love described in Proverbs 17, 17, which says, a friend loves at all times. And again, in Proverbs 18, 24, it says, there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That's the kind of love that Jonathan and David had for one another. And that's the kind of love that we're going to talk about today as we continue talking through the ABC of Love Strong. 
We have made this statement that the picture or the vision of Love Strong is as simple as ABC. And we've been looking at ABC as we have divided the one another's in Scripture into three different categories. Now, let me say this. We have not exhausted the one another's. There are some 36 of them, 36 commands of ways that we are to respond to other brothers and sisters in Christ. We have not even begun to touch it all of it. We've just touched the tip of the iceberg. But what I kind of wanted to do was just introduce this thought that there is this ABC of it. And, and we've looked at it and we said A is accepting one another. B is building up one another. And today the one that we're going to look at is confiding in one another. And I would submit to you this morning that this is a deep, deep kind of love. It's not a love that we're going to have for everyone that we come in contact with. It's not a love that we're going to have for all believers. Uh, We can accept all believers. We can be hospitable to all believers. We can be that to be all believers, but we can't go deep with all believers. We can build up a few believers. We We can help them. We can help promote spiritual growth in their lives with those that we get to rub shoulders with more consistently, but we won't have this kind of confiding in love with that many. In fact, when we're talking about a confiding type of love, we're talking about this kind of relationship being with just a few, maybe one, maybe three at the most. We've talked about it being gender appropriate. We need to have, make sure that if we're a man, that this kind of relationship is with other men and women to other women. We have said that this is few. In fact, I, I was thinking about it. You know, even Jesus himself demonstrated this, didn't he? I mean, Jesus, he ministered to thousands and thousands of people. At one point, he looks on a city full of people, and he has compassion on them because they're helpless like sheep without a shepherd, and he, he serves them. He, he accepts them. But then he chose or 72 disciples that started following him. And in, in one gospel, he sends 72 disciples out. But from the 72, he selects 12 to be apostles. These are the inner circle. These are the 12 that Jesus becomes closest to of the 72. But even in the 12, you realize there's three, right? Peter, James, and John become the, the kind of the inner circle of that circle. And if you were to nail it down, it could be said, it could be argued, that John the Apostle was Jesus' closest confidant. John calls himself the one that Jesus loved. I don't think he's being arrogant. I'm just thinking he's describing this special relationship. So I'm, I'm here to say that, that this type of confiding in that we're talking about today as part of the ABC of Love Strong will be with just a few a few who are of their same gender, a few that we can go deep with. And so we're talking about confiding, and it really comes from this verse, Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 12. By the way, you won't find a verse that says confide in one another. So you, you might be struggling with that already, going, but pastor, I've never heard a verse that says to confide in one another. Well, I have to admit, I've made this up because I couldn't find a word that kind of summed up everything that we're talking about and looking at in Scripture, but I think this fits. The word confide in comes from the Latin root word, meaning, which is confidus, which means to have faith in or trust in. Fidus, I love it. So when you talk about fidelity, it is to have a faith or a loyalty. So when you talk about confide in someone, it is to trust somebody or to have faith in them so much that you share what's going on in the deepest recesses of your heart. 
It's that kind of relationship, that kind of loving relationship. And while Scripture doesn't call us to confide in one another, we have a picture of it, I think, in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12, which will be on the screen, which says, Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has no other to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. What a description, huh? Of having at least one other comrade, one other companion that you live this life with, that you trust with the inner thoughts and, and, and recesses of your heart. And I believe Scripture calls us to this. I believe as you look at some of the one another's, it really falls under this category of this going deep with a few people. I would even say that... Uh, that uh, this is one of those things that is super scary for us to do, isn't it? I mean, I don't know if I can trust somebody else with my deepest, darkest thoughts. I don't know if I can share with them some of my struggles. I'm not sure that I can really come to a point where I completely trust somebody to confide in them. And I get that. I, I, I think that I, I want to be careful to say that that is reserved. That, that's, that's for a select few but I believe it's scriptural. I believe there's this call in Scripture to this kind of deep love, this kind of confiding in love. And so I want to just share three one another's with you that I think fall into this. I I was going to do the confess your sins to one another, which is in James 5.16. You can look it up. But I thought, you know what? That's going to get a little tricky. That could be a whole sermon in and of itself, okay? But I do have it listed under the first one that I'm going to suggest. If we're going to confide in one another, it means it involves three different things today that we're going to look at. And the first is this. It involves admonishing one another. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. This is a passage that we ended on last week and we focused in on the the idea of teaching one another. But notice what Colossians 3.16 says. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms with with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Admonishing one another. To admonish means to gently and lovingly warn that someone's going in the wrong direction. It is a warning. It is, it is to say, caution, caution. The way you're going is going to take you over the cliff. That direction you're headed, the way that you're even thinking is, is not right according to Scripture. So to admonish is to give warning to somebody, but it's done with a loving heart, a gentle heart. Galatians 6, verse 1, when your brother is found in sin, you go to him, but you do it gently, the Scripture says. And so we, we understand admonishing one another is, is Scripture. And, and some of you, perhaps, <laughs> are going, finally, I'm sick of all this talk of accepting and building up. 
When are we going to get to the good stuff? When are we going to talk about confronting your brother when sin, when they're in sin? And, where, when they're gonna, you know, and, I, and I've, I've loved that. There's been some tension. I've had some feedback from some people going, but Jeff, when do we get to admonish one another? Not, they didn't put it that way. I've got to be careful. But, but there is this truth in Scripture that we do need to deal with sin even when it's in somebody else's life. We go to them, uh, according to Matthew 18, and, and we love them. But, but the interesting thing here is it's done in love. It's done with a gentle heart. And I would submit to you this morning that the best, the best admonishment comes through people who you know already accept you and are already building you up. Have you ever had somebody come to you that didn't really know you and sit you down and confront you with an area that they thought was sin in your life? They didn't know you. How can they do that? They, don't, they haven't accepted you. They haven't tried to build you up. And yet they're in your face telling you you're wrong. See, that doesn't work so well, to be honest with you. I know I've experienced that, and I saw some of you nodding your heads that you've experienced it. See, I believe this is where it works best. After I've been with somebody who I know has accepted me, who loves me as I am, who seeks God's best for me, who wants to promote spiritual growth in my life, who has already been involved in building me up, then when they come to me and they say, Jeff, man, you're headed this way, but I, don't, I want to caution you. I receive it so much better. I have a, a friend that I've talked to you about. He's my mentor. His name is Rick. I've shared it with you before. But I'll tell you, there was several years ago that uh, he, he lives in Idaho, and we don't talk much. But several years ago, we were Skyping each other once a week. And Rick's the kind of guy that over the many, many years that I've known Rick, he has been such a source of encouragement. He has accepted me. He has walked with me through life. He has been a wisdom uh, giver to me in various areas. And when we were Skyping each other weekly, Rick would often say, Jeff, let's consider that. You want to do that, but let's, let's think about this. Let's pray about this. Let's talk about this. And before I knew it, he had admonished me and warned me that going that direction was not a good idea. But you know what? I never was offended. I never wanted to defend myself because I knew Rick loved me. I knew Rick was looking out for what was best for me. And the only reason I knew that is because we had already worked through the accepting and the building up aspect of relationship. And we came to that point, and I was willing to receive his admonishment and really desire him to admonish me, in fact. See, I, I, I believe that's what Scripture means. Because it says... Teaching and admonishing in all wisdom. Now, I think that's both the content of what we use to admonish one another in, but I also think it's the manner in which we admonish one another. First, it's the content. If you look at the beginning of verse 16, it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I believe what Paul is saying is, man, for you to be able to teach and especially admonish somebody else, the Word of Christ has to be dwelling in you. And we talked about this last week when we talked about teaching. But let me encourage us. When we have the Word of Christ dwelling in us richly, and then we go and we warn a brother or a sister in Christ of the, the way that they're going, and we use Scripture, that's 
what I believe he's talking about. That's in wisdom, in the wisdom of the Lord, in the wisdom of the word in Scripture. So if you're going to come to a brother or sister and say, I think you're wrong. You shouldn't be going that way. I think, I think, I think, I think. It's my opinion, I think. If you're going to do that, that's not wisdom admonishment. But if you come to your brother or sister and go, look at what the word says. You know, God's word says this, and, and here's what I see you doing. You're, you're going this way, but the word says don't go that way, or the word says go this way. When you take the word of God in your admonishment, that's what the scripture calls for. So the, the, the context of our admonishment must be scripture. That's the wisdom of God. But the context, but the manner rather, of our admonishment must be in wisdom. And we talked about it last week, so I'm trying not to get into it too much. But I think it's important that we realize wisdom is done in love. In fact, the whole context of this, if you, if you have your Bibles open to Colossians 3, look at verse 14. Here is the context of this admonishment. Verse 14 says, And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. See, as we come and even admonish one another, it must be done in love. I gave you this definition last week for teaching, and I'll give it again in admonishing. When you are going to warn somebody of the path that they're on using the word of God and it hurts you deeply to have to go and talk to them, then you know you're doing it in love. If you can't wait to go nail them to the wall, you're wrong, buddy. Let me show you scripture why you are wrong. Then you're not doing it in love. You see the difference? Does that make sense? See, the whole context here is doing it in love. I desire their best. I've already worked through accepting them, and I want to build them up. I want to love them, and I want to warn them of the direction that they're headed. And so admonishment must be done in a manner of wisdom, a manner in which there is compassion. It's that old saying, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And church, that's so important, isn't it? I mean, we all relate to that. I see people shaking their head. Yes, we relate to that. If I know you care about me and you're warning me, you're admonishing me, then I can receive it. But if you don't know me at all, you don't know the whole story, the whole situation, and you're coming and you're confronting me or trying to admonish me, then it's not as well received, to be honest with you. But when I know you care, when you know I care, it's much easier received. Admonishing is one of those things that we're called to do. And it's part of this deeper kind of love, a, a confiding kind of love. But I would suggest another, another uh, thing that fits under here. And that is this one. Confiding not only involves admonishing, but it involves encouraging. Encouraging. See, to, to admonish is to warn about the direction someone is going. To encourage is to point them into the right direction. So if you will, admonishment and encouragement go hand in hand, don't they? I mean, if I'm going to warn you this is the wrong way to go, then I can give you the positive. Hey, this is the right way to go. And again, it's using the word of God. Now, to be honest with you, encouragement, along with many of the other one another's, could actually fall into all three categories. I think we can encourage one another at the acceptance stage. We definitely can encourage one another at the building up stage. But I would say the most effective encouragement comes when we're at this stage, when we're at this few number of people who we get to 
walk side by side with daily, living in community with, and encouraging them in the right direction. Yesterday, some of you were here, and we had a memorial service for Bill Cox, Pastor Bill, Pastor Bill Cox. And it was mentioned, I thought, Joe, if you were here, his son did an incredible job of honoring him and exalting Jesus Christ. It was amazing. I, I was sitting there going, Joe, way to go, buddy. I was just applauding. He did such a good job. But one of the things that he mentioned about his dad is his dad is an exhorter. His dad had the gift of exhortation, which is the idea of admonishment and encouragement coming together. I'm going to help you see that you're going in the wrong direction, but here's the way you got to go. Here's the direction you need to go. That was Pastor Bill. Bill was, I was, I was one who received some of his exhortation. And amazing thing about Bill is he could admonish you and you didn't even know it until you left. And you went, wait a minute. I think he just was getting after me. <laughs> but it was done in such a loving way, and he always steered you into the right direction according to the Word of God. His heart was the Word of God. He was an encourager all the way. And sometimes it meant some admonishing, but it always ended in the encouraging. Here's the way you need to go. What a great man of God. And that you and I can take as an example, and we can be that kind of person to one another. Yes, we might need to admonish those that we've accepted and sought to build up. We might need to come down and say, hey, this is the wrong way you're going. But along with that, let's be encouragers. Let's say, hey, this is the right way to go. This is where you should go. As I think about Scripture in this, uh, uh, there's three that basically are, are uh, uh, talk about encouragement. And I'm going to ask you to maybe look at all of them with me. But Hebrews 10 is the first one. See, to encourage properly does at least three different things according to Scripture. If you and I are going to encourage one another, say this is the way we should go, or you should go, then first of all, in Hebrews chapter 10, notice with me at verse 24 and 25. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. There's this, there's this true encouragement will always stimulate somebody to love and good works. If you and I are going to seek to encourage others, it will always mean we're pointing them to love and good works. And we don't give up. We, we, we don't neglect getting together, as he says here. We stimulate one another toward love and good works. Charles Swindoll asked this question. He says, how many people stop because so few say go? And that's the side of encouragement that I want us to see. It's, it's that stimulate, go, go. Here's God's best. Here's what God's designed for you. Here's his plan according to his word. Go, walk in it, live in it. It's going to be fun. Well, not always fun, but it's going to be good, right? It's not always fun, to be honest, right? You're looking at me like, I don't know whether I should agree with that or not. Yeah, it's always fun. Okay, that's another sermon. Are you with me? Are you thinking about other things? Have I got you? Okay, anyway. Okay, so, so here we go. Encouragement, true encouragement will stimulate others. But also look back with me at chapter 3 of Hebrews. And I want you to see what the writer here says in verse 12 and 13. Hebrews 3, 12 and 13. 
the writer says, Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you, uh, in any of you, an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And there's another thing that encouragement, true encouragement, does. Not only does it stimulate, but it protects. It protects one from hardness of heart, from the deceitfulness of sin. It, that word exhort that's translated exhort in, in the uh, English uh, standard version is the idea of encouragement. Encourage one another so that you would protect them from a hardened heart and the deceitfulness of sin. So when I'm constantly saying, here's the way God's word says to go, this is the way, go this way, this is the way, then it's that protection that takes place with one another. And then finally, uh, one third thing that I want to see you to see that true encouragement does is found back again in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Or excuse me, chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. Paul is here dealing with a group of people that had been told some wrong things about the end times. They've been led to believe that those who have died before the rapture will remain in the grave. And so Paul is correcting them in this. He's, he's describing to them what goes on at the end times. And verse 18, he finally comes to this conclusion. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Why? Because he says, no, here's what's going to happen. Those who are dead in Christ, which means Baptists, right? Dead in Christ. Oh, I can say that because we are one, right? I'm just joking. But the Bible does say those who are dead in Christ will be raised first, right? That's what he encourages the believers in Thessalonica with. The things you've heard he's telling them is all wrong. No, those who are dead, they're not lost forever. They're going to be raised up first, and then we're going to go join them in the air. We're going we're to be raptured with Christ in the air. And then he says, encourage one another with these words. So true encouragement not only stimulates to love and good deeds, not only protects from hardness of heart and deceitfulness of sin, but thirdly, encouragement comforts. It provides comfort. When we are able to take the Word of God and share it with other people, especially when they have wrong ideas or wrong thoughts, we are able to comfort them. No, here's what the Word of God says. That's what I sought to do when I opened this sermon, by telling you, you are loved. That was a source of encouragement. I was trying to let you know that this is true. Whether you feel it or not, you are loved greatly, unconditionally, limitlessly by your Creator. You are loved, and I want to encourage you with that. I want you to be comforted by that. That's what encouragement does. It stimulates, protects, and it comforts. And then finally, there's one other ingredient that I want to talk about that confiding in involves. And it is something that I don't know that we today are all that good at. But the Scripture tells us to bear one another's burdens. See, we might go to somebody and we might admonish them. And they might be in sin. They might be full-on sin, and we're with a loving heart desiring to build them up, desiring to promote spiritual growth in their life, we're there caring for them, saying, man, you can't keep going this way. This is not God's plan for you. 
This is going to lead to some horrible consequences. And we're admonishing them. And we're saying, but here's the way you need to go. You need to do this and this according to the word of God. This is the encouragement aspect. And then we're typically those who leave them alone and just basically say, go do it. And you better shape up next time I come see you. But the scripture says otherwise. The scripture tells us to bear one another's burdens. And I want to see in two different ways the way we are to bear burdens. To bear burden literally means to come up under the weight of somebody. To come up under and help them carry the weight. I don't know if everybody's, anybody's been through this, but this happened to me not too long ago. I took on this project that I thought in my own pride I could do. After all, I worked for a contractor for three years out of high school, and that hasn't been that long ago, so I could take on a reconstruction project in our home. And so I decided, with Mona's help, I was going to redo the kitchen, and it led into redoing the bathroom, as that typically goes. So I started going forward, in pride, I can do this thing. And all of a sudden, I realized, nope, I can't do this thing. That was too long ago. I can't remember this. And I'm going, what do I do? And about that time, I get a call from Shannon Stickler, contractor in this church. And he goes, I got about a week that I don't have any work. Do you need help? And I'm like, let me pray about that. Yes! (laughs) Shannon came and helped me for a good solid week. In fact, a little bit more. There's no way I would have gotten that done, looking back. He came, and I started feeling the weight of this thing, and Shannon came, and he helped me carry that weight. And he, and he worked with me side by side, showed me some things, did some things that I didn't even know what to do on him. And it was amazing. He, he bore that burden. Well, the Scripture talks about bearing burdens, but it's, it's in a spiritual kind of weight. And I would say to you that bearing one another's burdens really has a building up effect. In Romans chapter 15, we read of this building up effect in verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. This is the idea of of bearing, basically bearing with somebody for the sake of building them up. Bearing their weaknesses. They might be a new believer and they still have old practices, old ways of doing things. And we might want to go and confront them and just give them what for. If you're going to be a follower of Christ, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. And that'll send them running. Or we can bear with those weaknesses for a while and just lovingly, slowly encourage them. Here's what the Word of God says. Here's what Scripture says. Because the truth is, none of us are perfect, right? The truth is, this guy right up here, standing up here, I will never be perfect this side of heaven. The truth is, God is always going to be working on me if I allow that to happen. And I pray I always allow that to happen. So when we expect others to be perfect immediately, we're, we're, we're doing them injustice. So there's this bearing thing that, that brings building up that helps them promote them in their spiritual walk but there also is a is a confiding power in this and and i i shared with you out of galatians let me read galatians 6 verses 1 and 2 brothers if anyone is caught in any transgression 
You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. And then verse 2, right away, after that context of of talking to somebody about their sin and doing it gently, verse 2 says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So there's this confiding in thing, and it takes me back to James 5.16, confess your sins to one another. When we have that kind of heart with one another, when, when there's a few people or one person that we have that relationship with who, who can speak into our lives and we receive it because we know they love us, they accept us, they want our best. When we have that kind of relationship and they speak into our lives, we receive it. But the second part of that or the next part is to bear burdens. See, it's not, it's not me going and saying, brother, you're in sin here. It's me going, you're in sin. Here's what God's Word says. How can I help be a part of this? What can I do? Here's my phone number. Call me night or day if you're struggling in this area. I want to be someone who comes alongside of you and helps bear this burden, this this weight of this sin that you're struggling with. I want to be a burden bearer. See, that's this kind of love. That's confiding in kind of love. So there's much, much more than just admonishing. It's encouraging, and it's being willing to bear those burdens, being willing to walk with that person. Now, the truth of it is, it gets really sticky and hard sometimes. I've been a person who's attempted to bear burdens with other people, and it is not easy. I'll be, I'll be right up front with you. It's not a cakewalk. But see, if I'm going to love strong, it means I'm willing to be one who is going to go there, who confides in that person, who allows that person to confide in me and to walk with them in this whole thing. That's love strong. So we have talked about this picture, this vision. We've said it's ABC, accepting building up, and confiding. I want to leave you with one final illustration because I love it and it turns our hearts toward Christ. Out of the furnaces of war come many true stories of sacrifice and deep, deep friendship. One such story tells of two friends in World War I who were inseparable. They had enlisted together, they trained together, they were shipped overseas together, and they fought side by side in the trenches. In the midst of a terrible battle, the two soldiers became separated. And as the fighting raged on all sides, one of the two soldiers found his way back to the trench only to see his best buddy laying out in the middle at no man's land, bleeding, unable to move. The soldier went to his sergeant and said, Sergeant, I want to go get my friend. And the sergeant said, Absolutely not. I cannot risk you dying. I need all the men I can get. But sure enough, you can guess what happened. As soon as the sergeant turned his back, He ran out. He ran to his friend under the cover of much fire going on. He grabs his friend and he he throws him over his shoulder. And and sure, sure enough, as he's running back to the trench, he himself gets hit with a few bullets. And as he jumps into the trench with his buddy, he lays him on the ground only to realize his buddy had died. 
The sergeant came over and he was incredibly angry at this act. And he started to give this guy the riot act. And he said, see, was it worth it? Not only is your buddy dead, but now you are injured and I can't use you. Was it worth it? And without hesitation, he looked at his sergeant and he said, Sarge, it was more than worth it. You see, when I got to my buddy, he was still alive. And when I got over his face, he looked at me and he said, Jim, I knew you'd come. I knew you'd come. Isn't that good? I knew you'd come. Do you have somebody in your life who you know would come? Somebody who loves you so much that night or day, they would be at your place in a matter of moments. Are you that to somebody else? Are you that kind of person who loves in that kind of way? 1 Peter chapter 2, 24 and 25, and I'll end with this, speaks of Jesus. Jesus. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds... You have been healed, for you were strained like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd, the overseer of your souls. Do you know what? Whether you have somebody here on earth like that or not, you have a Savior like that. He willingly bore in his body on the cross your sin and my sin. That's his kind of love toward us. There's no greater love than that. Jesus said it himself. Do you know him today? See, the bottom line is this. You and I will not be able to be people who love each other strongly without being and knowing the love of Jesus Christ. So if you're here today and you have not responded to the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done for you, today can be your day. Would you pray with me as the worship team comes back up? Our dear Heavenly Father, we just come to you this morning thanking you for your word. And Lord, I guess I'm, I'm mindful of the fact that you don't ask us to do anything in relationship with one another that you haven't already done for us. Thank you, Father, that you have bore our burden on the cross, our burden of sin. Thank you that you have died in our place. Thank you that that's how much you have loved us. Thank you that by your death and resurrection, we can have forgiveness once and for all. We can have hope, certainty of eternity. And Lord, I want to pray for anybody in this place who have never given themselves over to this truth. And maybe that's you today. Maybe right now the Lord is just at the door of your heart just knocking. The truth is, if you'd open that door into your life, He would come in. He died for you. He loves you. He wants you to know Him. And maybe you're here this morning, and that's what He's calling you to do. And so just simply say something like this. Oh, Lord Jesus, I do admit that I am a sinner, and my sins have separated me from you. But I believe that you died on that cross bearing my sin. Carrying all the weight of that sin. 
and that you died so that I could have forgiveness for that sin. And so I trust you for that forgiveness and I ask you into my life. And if you prayed that prayer, (laughs) angels are rejoicing and I want to rejoice with you. So if you prayed that prayer, would you just let me know at the end of service? But Father, there are those of us that have done that and we've been talking about love strong. We've been looking at this as a, as a quick picture of what it looks like to accept and build up and confide in one another. And Lord, my, my general prayer is that we as a church family would, would be a testimony to this world. Like your son said, that, that, that the world would know we are your followers because we have such love for one another, because we are accepting and building up of one another, and because we have relationships where we can admonish and encourage and bear burdens. Lord, I pray that we would be a testimony in Jefferson County. So, Lord, that means that each one of us individually in this place need to determine right now what your Holy Spirit is calling us to do. And so I pray that he would give wisdom to each one. Maybe it's be more accepting of people. Maybe it's seeking to build others up instead of tear them down. Or maybe it is that we need to go to somebody that we're close to and admonish and encourage and be willing to bear their burdens. Lord, I don't know what it is for each individual in this place, but you do. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak in hearts right now so that we could go throughout this next week loving strong. (laughs) In Jesus' name, amen.